uh, look at what God's saying to us tonight. Lord, Lord um, it is, it's, it's beautiful to be here. It's just fantastic that we can come and share together and be together as one church and five congregations, yet we're one. And Lord, there's hundreds of brothers and sisters that we have around the place and we can only just know a few. I know that, Father, but it's good just to know what's going on as well around in the life of our church. So thank you for the good things that you're doing in the lives of so many people. And uh, Lord, we just bless you tonight. We thank you that we can be here and for the worship we've experienced already. We want to continue on this attitude of worship as we open your word and just pray that you'll open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to truth and uh, that you'll set us free. Your word tells us that, Lord, that you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So help us to do that and experience you here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, thanks for the reading tomorrow as well. But I'm going to be looking at chapter 8, actually. Uh, a few thoughts from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But I want to ask you, just sort of as an intro, have you, have you noticed how there is no shortage of free advice on how you should make money, how you should spend it, and how you should invest it? Have you noticed that? Um, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind a dollar for every time I've had a phone call from some person on the other end who wants to give me the greatest advice you'll ever have and the solution that will transform your financial circumstances. They have the answer. Have you had phone calls like that? Until you ring up and you go on and you put the no more call thing on your telephones where they don't bother you anymore. But that runs out. I think mine's run out because I've been getting a few of those just lately. And, uh, but then and insurance, insurance. How many insurance policies are there these days? People, you know, their insurance policies offer you just about for anything and everything you could think of today. Um, life insurance, of course, you know, funeral insurance, accident insurance, pet insurance. Who can say, who can name any more, any other types of insurances? Just about for everything, you've got these insurances. And people want to ring you up and sell the best insurance policy you could ever have. You know, one of the best... One of the, the, the best advice, the best advice I think I've heard so far about insurance was when somebody rang up this particular person. don't know who it was, but it was a person who obviously had a real heart for the gospel, a heart for sharing Christ. And uh, this person explained to the telemarketer that he had the best insurance policy you could ever have anywhere. And of course, this guy's going, oh, okay, you know. And he said this, he said, the, the name of the policy is this. It's called Permanent Life. And all the premiums have already been paid in full. Did you get that? Permanent life. All the premiums are paid. You don't have to pay any. It's all been paid for you. And of course, it's all to do with the cross about Jesus. And you might like to share that with the next telemarketer that comes on the line for you. Wants to sell you insurance. Tell them about permanent life. So much for um, you know, free advice on how to use your money. But, you know, I want to talk about another kind of free advice um, that we do need to take more seriously, um, particularly for those of us who belong to the family of God, because this advice comes from the Word of God. So we do need to take seriously what God's saying to us, don't we? When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, I'm talking about chapter 80 now, he shared with them some wise, some wise counsel. Wise counsel, a wise counsel on four aspects of giving. 
um, which clearly applies to God's people today. And I believe that if, if it is applied, if we take on board what God says to us and we apply these things, I believe it will transform our attitudes towards financial health, towards finance, period. I did want to just kind of deviate a little bit from the book tonight, from this workbook. Okay, I'm going to sort of go off a little bit of a direction. A couple of things I'll mention about that soon, but I will be deviating from the Rick Warren workbook because I want to talk mainly tonight about the, the, the whole concept of biblically, biblical giving. Biblical giving. And I want to, as I said, I want to mention four aspects of that that come out of this particular passage in 2 Corinthians 8. And the first one is this. The first principle, the first point I want to make is we need to consider the integrity of giving. It might seem a bit funny. We need to think about our integrity in terms of giving. Look at uh, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8, 10 and 11. Paul says this, And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. So what's happening here is in these verses, Paul's referring to a pledge that was made by the Corinthians some 12 months beforehand. 12 months ago, that they would give in support of the needs of the Jerusalem church. And that's kind of unpacked a little bit more in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4. If you read that, you'll see what that, what that context is. Now, they'd made this pledge 12 months ago. The problem was they had failed to keep that pledge. They'd failed to honour that pledge. And so with great tactfulness, Paul reminds them and he advises these Corinthians that they needed to finish what they had started to do a year ago. Paul was obviously concerned for their integrity as a church because they had made promises before God that they would give and at this point in time they'd failed to keep that promise. And at which, according to the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, it was a fairly serious thing to do. You listen to what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Some people think it's Solomon, we're not sure. Uh, but the writer of Ecclesiastes, he says this, uh, chapter 5 and 4 to 7, fairly strong words. He says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfil it. Do not let your money lead you into sin. There's good advice, isn't it? Do not let your money... It's wrong. Sorry, I got my wrong. That'll come later. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. That's good. That's even better advice. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands now you're probably thinking well that's pretty serious stuff so don't you think it'd be better not to make a pledge at all in case I'm not able to keep it well you might need to think about that but I want you to think about this too because when you do think about it we live every day on the principles of pledging for example what I mean by that is what about the services that we use in our homes 
What about the utilities in our homes, such as electricity and gas services and um, other types of utilities that we might use? Um, the phone, of course, um, and even the dreaded credit card. Um, you know, we're basically pledging and trusting that at a certain time, uh, we'll be able to pay for those things that we've used. Even though we haven't paid from the time, we've pledged and we've trusted that that will happen later. So that includes other people as well. People that come and do work for you, tradesmen and other types of situations where someone comes and works for you that you owe money to, the reality is, and what I'm, what I'm sensing God saying to us and what I think we do need to do is, you don't delay unnecessarily to pay what you owe. You don't delay in paying someone for their services. Someone does something for you, then you pay them and pay them as soon as you can. Don't delay. Honour that vow. Honour that pledge, if you like. And I, I will recommend the practical help that's listed in this workbook, if you've got it, under the headings of Seven Habits for Financial Health by Rick Warren. He mentions a, a few of those things. And, and uh, for example, he advises that uh, we save and invest for the future. Let me just rattle these off quickly. You'll find if you're filling in that workbook, th these are some of the answers here. Um, so, okay, so that we save and invest for the future, that we keep good records of where our money goes. This is good advice. That we set up a repayment plan to get ourselves out of debt and that we budget our spending. It's all sound advice. It's good practical stuff. And there's other things that he says as well. And, but so it is with our pledging and our giving to God. We, we're trusting in him that, as Rick Warren also says, we're trusting in God that he is our source and supplier. Our source and supplier. In that he will supply the means enabling us to give with integrity and to honour, in honour of his worthy name. God will enable us to give with integrity so that we will honour him. And this also includes, by the way, paying our taxes. Get on board and pay the tax. Just pay the tax. Get our taxation returns in. But probably not like this particular one. Let me read this to you. Probably not like this guy. An honest letter was sent to the taxation department. It stated, Dear sirs, I cannot sleep. Last year when I filed my income tax return, I deliberately mis misrepresented my income. Now I cannot sleep. Encloses a cheque for $150 for taxes. If I still cannot sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> yeah, not quite like that, but like, don't be quite like him. Integrity is important to God. Integrity is, is an important aspect of our giving to God. We need to be honest with God, not only with what we give, but when we give it. The Corinthians were 12 months late in honouring their pledge to God and Paul was reminding them of their obligation. And we need to think and we need to be able to Stand before God and, and be conscious of what our obligation is too. And I want to personally suggest that we give to God the first and we give him the best of our income. 
that we don't wait and hopefully that there's something left over. In other words, we don't give God the last or the leftovers. We give him the first and we give him the best. I believe that's biblical. And then we pay others what we owe them and we pay them immediately, straight away, as soon as we can, not deliberately delaying and putting it off and putting it off. We need to be integral in our giving. Listen to what Proverbs says. This is, this is good advice. God's word. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. This particular version says, Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first and the best part of all your income. Then your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with fresh wine. It's a matter of you honour God, he'll honour you. More about that perhaps later on. The the second aspect of giving that Paul mentions here has to do with the willingness of the giver. All right, the willingness of the giver. Verses 11 to 12 of 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says this. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there... The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. So I believe that the Bible teaches us that God is more interested in how we give rather than how much we give. Again, for example, when you give to God, can I ask you this? When you give to God. Is it a joyful experience for you? I mean, genuinely joyful. Are you really saying, Lord, thank you for who you are? Thank you for what you have given me. Thank you for what you've perhaps withheld from me. But thank you for all that you are. I love you, Lord. I worship you and I want to give to you. Do you say, is that where your heart's coming from? Or, you know, I want you to be honest about that tonight. Or is it a struggle for you to give? Is it a little bit like an unpleasant chore? Because they're the things that God sees and they're the things that God's important. Not so much how much, but it's how you give. It's your attitude. See, having a cheerful and willing heart is important to God. In Exodus 35, for example, uh, the Israelites begin to, to bring their offerings and they, they bring their skills and their talents to God for the building and the decorating of the tabernacle. And it's interesting to note how clearly God states, uh, how clearly it's sta- it stated in God's word that, that the invitation was given to those who were willing. Those who were willing should come. Those who were willing should give. He wasn't talking about the ones who were reluctant to give or, or was a chore for them or it was an unpleasant experience. It was for those who were willing. Listen to this, verse 5 of Exodus 35. From what you have... Take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. That's verse 5. Look at verse 21 and 22. And everyone, and everyone who was willing and whose heart, listen to this, whose heart moved him, came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. Verse 22. All who were willing... Men and women alike came. It says something about that, doesn't it? Something about our attitude that God sees and treasures. 
It's just something that we need to be aware of and something I believe that we need to personally reflect to God intimately, personally with our Heavenly Father to ask questions like, Lord, would you search my heart? Because, Lord, I, I want you to know, I want, to see, I want you to see me and I want to ask this question, Lord, you know, how willing am I really in my giving to you? Now, we talk about being transformed by the renewal of your mind. The whole message really this year is about transformation and we can ask God, Lord, how, how transformed am I in my financial attitude and in my financial health am I in you? I want to challenge you to ask God that question yourself personally. We all need to do that. Psalm 139, David starts off by saying, Lord, search me or you have searched me and know me. He ends by saying the similar things. Search my heart. We need to pray that prayer to God. Thirdly, God is also interested in our ability to give. Our ability. 11 and 12, again, of 2 Corinthians 8. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. According to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one not according to what he does not have. So, in other words, we're not expected to give what we don't have. Our obligation to give is proportional to our ability to give. I think God's pretty practical about that. But look at this, look at this sample here. The poor widow in Mark chapter 12 gave according to her ability and yet she gave more. Jesus said, than all the others that had come and give. He saw a heart and he was pleased. And so Jesus gladly received her offering. You see, she came, she gave all she had. <laughs> and Jesus saw that and spoke about that and she was noted. And he received gladly her offering. And I suspect the scripture doesn't say much more about that, but I suspect that she was not the poorer for doing what she did. God is faithful and he will meet us where we are. He will supply every need that we have. That's his promise. I don't think that widow was poorer for what she gave out of her heart that day. You know, whatever ability God's given you to give, I want to also suggest five positive aspects for a healthy attitude towards financial stewardship. Just take these on board. I'm just going to mention five quickly uh, to you. First one is this. These are little, little tips that, that help. I found helpful for me. Recognise everything that we have belongs to God and we are his stewards of those things. Good attitude to have. Everything I have has come from his hand. All that I've needed, thy hand has provided. I love that old hymn. It says that, doesn't it? So really, have that attitude, have that, have that mindset from the word go. Recognise everything that you have belongs to God and we're the stewards of it. We're managers of his assets. The scary thing is, he's going to hold us accountable to how we manage his assets. One thing. Second thing. Guard against the desire to be rich. The, wouldn't it be nice? Oh, yeah. But then we say, Lord, would it? 
But your word says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? So we've got to balance the things the world is throwing at us, the attractiveness of it, the appeal of it all. Measure it up against what God's already said about that. Guard against the desire to be rich. Thirdly, keep yourself free from the love of money. You've heard that before. Keep yourself free from the love of money. Money itself is not wrong. Pastor Darrell talked about, a little bit about that this morning. Money is not evil or good. It's neutral. It's what you do with it that can make it evil and make it good. All right. So guard yourself against the, the, the love. Keep yourself free from the love of money. Moving on. Fourthly, avoid being envious of those who are wealthy. That's important. Don't be envious of the neighbours. They've got some boat and other bits and pieces in their you know, great big house. Don't be envious of that. You don't know what's going on in their lives. All right, It's not our place to be envious. It's wrong. Don't be envious of those who are wealthy. Fourthly, be grateful every day for what the Lord has given us. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will amaze you what the Lord has done. Count them every day. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given us. Be grateful every day for what the Lord has given us and, as well, for what he withholds from us. Think about that one, from what he withholds from us. He is a beloved heavenly father who loves you so passionately and he knows what is good for you and he knows what is not good for you. Even though we want certain things, God says, but I love you too much to give that to you. I don't want to spoil your life with that. I don't want to ruin your life with that. That is not good for you. And he will withhold things. He's a loving heavenly father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. And he knows how to withhold the things that are not good. So trust him for that. If he's withholding something and you're pining for that, Lord, I just want this. And God's not giving it to you, then trust him and lay it, at your, lay it at his altar. Put it on the altar and say, Lord, if you want me to have it, you have the capacity to give me double what I've asked. But if it's not good for me, then you hold it, Lord. Because I only want your best. See, that's the attitude that God wants. And that's what we need to grow into and develop. Someone has said, I love this, someone has said that responsibility for a Christian is our response to God's ability. All right, responsibility for a Christian is our response to God's ability. Let me keep moving on. Number four, God is also interested in the equality of our giving. The equality of our giving. Back to this passage, 2 Corinthians 8, 13 to 15 says this. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. Verse 14, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. Verse 15, as it is written, pardon me, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little did not have too little. Equality, all works out. And this particular aspect of giving um, I think does have a potential to hit a bit of a raw nerve in us. Why do I say that? Well, because I don't think we can escape the fact 
that the word of God is very clear in its teaching that no believer has the right to enjoy this world's goods while seeing his brother or sister in need of those same kinds of things. Do you know what I mean? Pretty clear. Let me read. I'll not bother me say it. Let me just read what God said. 1 John 3, 17 to 18 says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or, or speech, but with actions and in truth. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Very clear. James says similar. James 2, 15, 17 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to him or her, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and be well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead, says James. I think that's true. Well, it is true. And you remember clearly how this principle of equality, of giving to those who had need, of sharing our stuff, so clearly expressed in the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2. Verse 44, and it says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. We've got to balance that. It doesn't mean that we quickly run out and sell our house so that we can bring the money into the storehouse and, you know, and share equally. I don't think God's saying that. But he's saying, but what's your attitude towards the possessions I've given you? Are you willing to share those? If I bring someone across your path and you see that there is obvious need there, are you willing to share what you've got? I've given you. Can you share that with someone else? And I think that's the thing we say, yes, Lord, I am. Everything I have belongs to you. I'm simply a steward of your assets. Then give me that attitude, Lord, to share with my brother and sister as you lead me. That's really what it's about. Yeah, and this practical demonstration of love for the Lord and for fellow believers back then had a lot to do with, with many of them coming to faith in Christ. And when people see love in action, it's a powerful testimony. It's not just theology, it's not theoryology, it's theology, it's, it's practical Christianity at work. And it has a powerful impact in the lives of non-believers. I think I've just lost my microphone. <laughs> One, two. I'm nearly at the end. Thank you, Lord. So many people came to faith, and I believe a lot of it was the powerful impact of the real Christianity at work in the lives of these new believers. And there's that word, you know, let us not love with word or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Because you know what? You never know when the tables will turn for you or me. We don't know when those tables will turn for us. Today we may be in abundance, while tomorrow we may be in want. How many times have we seen on the news just lately, people who have had their houses burnt down and they have lost everything materially 
And tragically, sometimes his lives are lost as well. So here they are, living life normally like we do, just going about everyday business. They come home and find the house completely and totally demolished, gone, everything. We wouldn't wish that on anybody, of course, but look, these things happen. Today we may be in abundance, but tomorrow we may be in want. Today we may have the privilege of giving, while tomorrow we may have the equal privilege of receiving. So God expects equality in a giving, both from the rich and from the poor. Whatever your means are, he still expects giving. Equality. Just as Jesus, uh, sorry, just as... God himself gave manna to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. And then Paul, of course, alludes to that in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 8 when he said <clears throat> that some gathered, some gathered more and some gathered less. But at the end of the day, everybody had exactly what they needed. Equality. God made sure of that. He checked that out. He goes before us. He meets our needs. And so my dear friends here tonight, you know, since we have a God who graciously gives us all things... May we as a people of God, in the words of the Apostle Paul, also excel in this grace of giving. Let us excel in this grace of giving, just as God has given us. May we have that excelling attitude, an attitude of worship, of thankfulness to God. Lord, here it is. It's all yours. What would you have me do? How would you help me to honour you with this? And you know, as I said before, and I believe that as we honour God, he will honour you. And so we will experience this and enjoy, enjoy what God's given us. But enjoy this whole transformed financial health that we're talking about today. Enjoy it. Enjoy God. Enjoy what he gives to us. But enjoy giving it back to him as well as he prompts us to do that. I want to finish with a story. Um, as far as I know, it's a true story. The story is told of a farmer. Uh, this farmer was well known for his generous giving and those friends, uh, and sorry, and whose friends could not understand how he could give so much away and yet remain so prosperous. One day a spokesman for his friend said, we cannot understand you. You give far more than the rest of us and yet you always seem to, ha to have more to give. Oh, that's easy to explain, the farmer said. He says, I just keep shoveling into God's bin and God keeps shoveling into mine. But God has the bigger shovel. Isn't that true? What's our shovel? Like that. God's is like that. It's no wonder we have more. He has the bigger shovel. You cannot outgive God. It's as simple as that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for... Um, just the things you've been teaching us tonight. and Really, it's about attitude, Lord, in many ways. It's really that. We want to be people who have a transformed attitude towards financial health. We don't want to be moulded and shaped by the world's take on it, but we want your take on it. We want you to be honoured in everything that we do. We want to be people who with all our hearts, Lord, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, Lord, but with all our hearts to say, God, you really are the giver of everything we have. Everything that we've needed, your hands provided. It's all come from you. Therefore, aren't you really the owner of it? Doesn't your word say, Lord, that the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to you? 
Every tree in the forest is yours. Everything. And God, you've blessed us so much by giving us so much. Please, Lord, help us not to be selfish, but help us to be generous, willing in our hearts. We need to be led by your Holy Spirit, not what someone else says, not feeling guilty. None of that, Lord. We want to hear your voice. We want to know your pleasure in our attitude toward giving. So, Lord, help us, we pray, as we continue to press on in our life with you, that you go ahead of us and you show us how we can grow and, and even more become transformed, to be more like Jesus in his whole attitude towards his concept of money, finances and giving. And Lord, quite simply, help us to follow Jesus. Really gets down to that. So lead us on that we may glorify you and experience the joy of the Lord in our lives in every dimension. We pray in his most precious and holy name. And God's people said, Amen. Bless you, folks.